You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with me, Lisa Check. Today is episode four of our fourth season, and today we're going to continue our talking about fast fashion and specifically honing in on some of the unintended consequences of buying those kind of clothes that are made um, fast, furious, and cheap. But first, here's what's happening on the farm. So it is the second day of June, and as I'm recording this, um, and it's been really, really hot this week. Um, of course, when it's really, really hot and super, super muggy, what happens? They cut the hay. So um, on Monday, I think it must have been um, Monday, they cut our hay field, um, and they bailed it yesterday. And today, um, just in a few hours, we're supposed to get like some really, really bad storms coming through. So this morning, we had three big hay wagons full. And those hay wagons are like eight feet wide by like 20 feet long. And how tall are they? They have to be like 10 feet tall. They're way taller than Bill, maybe twice as much Maybe it goes up to 12 feet. I'm not sure. But here we are trying to get some tarps over this. And we we only have one really big tarp. And then we had have a bunch of smaller tarps. And oh, my gosh. It was it was a lot of work. Bill got very, very sore. Um, it was get, starting to get hot out there. And we just were concerned because, you know, even though we grow that hay, it costs a lot of money for us to pay the people to cut it and bale it and put it into the barn. So anyway, um, we did that this morning. We finished like 9.15 um, and just maybe a half an hour ago, maybe like 11.30, they arrived to put it up in the barn. So I said to, said to Bill, I guess we really didn't have to worry about that. And, you know, of course, you know, the downsize is you, we never know with this guy when he's going to show up. So we had to do it to in order to protect our investment in the hay. So that's what's happening on the farm today. So all season, this is just episode four, all season, we've been talking about um, fast fashion and slow fashion. Um, and so to do a quick recap, episode one, we, I talked about style and how my style has changed over the years, um, but also how what we wear really shows the outside world, you know, who we are, what our values are. Um, so it's a really interesting subject. In episode two, I talked about the foundation of fabric, basically fiber. So talked about animal fibers and plant fibers and, and you know, what I'm calling here now plastic fibers because they arise from plastic. Um, and what the pros and cons of all those different fibers are, um, how they are good for the planet, how they are bad for the planet, um, 
And so we would all start with the understanding of where does this, where does our clothing come from? What is it made out of? Um, in the last episode, I talked more about fast fashion and some of the, you know, and the history of fashion in general, and you know how we got to this stage where um, people are just buying so many clothes and discarding so many clothes as well. And today, I want to expand on that a little bit. Um, with the problems with an industrialized textile manufacturing that's really causing um, worldwide problems, um, not just problems locally, but it's causing that as well. And I just want to re- reiterate again is that, yes, we're part of the problem, but we're also part of the solution. And this is a big, complex problem, and it's not something that can be changed overnight. And I think by talking about it, um, I don't want people to feel like I'm shaming them. That's not what I my intent is. It's more like, let's talk about this. Let's open the dialogue about this. Let's make sure everybody has the knowledge of you know what these things are doing to our planet. And then we as consumers can make the choices that we want to make for ourselves that Uh, Your choices may not be the same as my choices and vice versa, but at least we come with the knowledge of what those choices mean um, for our world and our planet. So let's get to it. So um, fast fashion has totally capitalistic underpinnings, um, mostly because of the the demise of the textile production in the U.S. that really started to happen in the 60s. Um, And in the 80s, the corporation started to buy out those fashion houses and started to make changes in the business model. Um, In the 60s, in the US at least, you know, my family, um, and I think I've talked about this in one of the other episodes, um, my family is from North Carolina. Um, They were working in those textile factories in the 60s. Um, But that's when um, the manufacturing started to go overseas. And so um, they lost their jobs at the textile mills. So then they went to work at the textile manufacturing, the clothing manufacturing end of it. Uh, I just remember, you know, and I was a kid, you know, I'm like 11 when that happened. And um, I just remember that they were making women's underwear. They were sewing women's underwear Um, And I know that because that's what we used to get for Christmas. Um, Anyway, uh, so the corporations were um, moving all the production overseas and they're making the changes to the business model. No longer was quality or durability valued. Like when I talked last episode about, um, you know, in the, 19th, 18th century, 19th century, and even before that, you know, clothing was highly valued. It was highly prized because it took a lot to make items. And so you took care of them. It not only cost a lot of money, it also cost a lot of time. It what it required a lot of skill. So, uh, you know, many items were passed down through the generations. They were um, kept really um, nicely. Um, they were patched well. Um, and even when they got to be something that couldn't be worn, um, 
out, you would still use that fabric. You would use it in quilts or you would use it as rags. Um, you would use that fabric until it was no more. Um, but uh, now in the in the in the twentieth century, um, the quality and durability were no longer valued, um, and the corporations were, and they really st still are doing what is called racing to zero. They're racing against each other to produce the most with the least amount of money. Um, and that's the capitalist part, you know? Um, it, so if, if my cost is low, then it's all profit. I get to provide, I get to show my stockholders that there's more profit in this because my, I'm keeping my costs low to nothing. Um, but that's the thinking that's causing the biggest problems. Um, that thinking doesn't value the workers and it doesn't value um, resources like water resources, air resources, land resources. It only values the bottom line and profit making. And they really don't care about any kind of collateral damage. So collateral damage, what are those things? And I, we talked last time about trash and about microplastics and about pollution. Um, and I did want to add a little bit something more in uh, about the microplastics because, you know, doing this research um, and I've been looking um, at everything that, that I am doing as a person. And I realized that um, when I use an exfoliator on my skin, what is that? It's, it's microplastic beads that are in there. And what is happening? You put it on your face, you wash it off, it goes into the water, it goes into the storm drains. Um, and it's all those things are also going to end up in our oceans and our streams causing pollution. So I realized that I had to change that big time. Um, so what I did was I investigated and I made my own exfoliator, which I am loving. And I will put a, um, a link to what, to the recipe that I made up for this exfoliator. Basically it was sugar, coconut oil, and some essential oil. I used, um, rose cause I love that, that scent, uh, but you could use any essential oil that you really like, or you could leave it unscented. Um, but I just thought I'd throw that in, even though it's not a textile thing, it's still, hey, if I'm worried about microplastics coming off my textiles, I should, really should also be worried about microplastics coming off of my face when I use an exfoliator. Um, but besides the trash and microplastics and pollution, there are many other toxic ramifications um, when in this current model of making textiles. Um, we all know that chronic diseases are caused by environmental toxins. We have proof of that, um, proof that's been accumulating since the 60s with um, the book Silent Spring and the DDT and the, um, the bald eagle eggs and all that. Um, we have proof. What we don't realize is that these toxins are being used to make our clothing and textiles that we use in our home. Um, that these toxins that we're account that we're encountering them with our skin, which is our biggest organ, and it's a permeable organ. What I mean is that what is on the outside can migrate inside of our bodies, um, and that's something that um, until I was doing this research, I really didn't understand um, 
how you know wearing clothing that is out outgassing with these kind of chemicals can really cause some permanent damage to ourselves. We're slowly and silently being made sick by what we're wearing. And while I know that sounds really dramatic and I do mean to shock you, we do have the power to reverse this for ourselves and our family. Um, and the way to do this is by voting with our dollars. That's the only way that we can change um, big uh, manufacturing industry. Um, that's the only thing that they value. As I said before, they look at the bottom line. Um, and so by voting with our dollars, by saying, I don't want to have clothes that are going to make me and my family sick, um, then perhaps we can change that industry for the better. But in order to do that, we really do have to look at it, really look at it and um, and come up with that plan. So one of the big toxins that um, we are that we know is in these clothing products, um, they come in a group called endocrine disruptors. They're found in GMO cottons, they're found in industrial dyes, and they're found in textile finishings or coatings. Those things that make um, your clothing waterproof or um, fire retardant in your children's clothes, those kind of um, coatings. So they're called endocrine disruptors because that's exactly what they do. They disrupt the hormone systems in your body. So these things are known to cause changes in your metabolism, changes in your sleep, changes in your mood, changes in your growth, or maybe the growth of your children or grandchildren, and also changes in reproductive health, perhaps um, fertility, infertility, I mean, um, or birth defects, that kind of thing. Um, they have been linked to increased levels of endocrine-related cancers. So um, but anything that has to do with, with hormones would like pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and thyroid cancers. Um, and so the question is, is it worth it to have brightly colored, stain-free, wrinkle-resistant, and water-resistant clothing if we're sacrificing our long-term health and the health of our children? And while the U.S. has banned these substances or using these substances within our borders, only about 2% of our clothing is made here under those laws. So um, the U.S. is not protecting us from the clothing that is coming from other countries where they do not have laws against using these, um, these substances. And while we looked at fibers before, let's look take a look, a deeper dive into industrial dyes, the things that make all those brightly colored clothes that we love so much. Um, there's over 8,000 different industrial dyes. 60 to 70% of those are called A20 dyes. That means that they are known to be carcinogenic and mutagenic. And mutagenic means that, it, that they have shown that it actually changes the DNA structure in your cells. 22% of those have already been banned in the EU. Um, and so the, the EU is a, a couple of steps ahead of us in this process. Um, 
There's very little research into what these substances actually do to the human body. Um, the fact that they are carcinogenic and mutagenic means that most of that research was probably done in a lab with lab animals. Um, just one of these dye molecules was found in 90% of the people who were studied in this one study. Um, and we don't know what the rate or the effect of those dyes when the clothing is worn or when the dye particles are breathed in. We, it's, it's a kind of a hazy study in that way. Um, but we do need to remember that then synthetic clothing has these chemicals within them. So, and part, so part of this problem is that we don't have any transparency. When you did your closet inventory, if you did it in um, episode one or after episode one, did you find any warning labels about the different substances that would have been in your clothing? I think most labels these days do list the country of origin, and they also label the fiber com content of the garment. But do you know what dyes were used? Do you know if there were any finishes added? Do you even think about stain resistant or wrinkle resistant or waterproofing that may be toxic? Because I really hadn't thought of that. Um, you know, I would have thought that surely the company would be making a safe product. And, and when you think about fire resistant clothing for children, what is that? And is that toxic? We really need to have more transparency within our clothing um, system, our textile systems, so that we can buy um, with knowledge and confidence. Um, so what can we do to turn this around? Um, number one, um, becoming more informed is always better. Reading the labels that are in there is always better. Um, refuse to close your eyes to the damage that's being caused by our fashion choices. Buy products that are the least processed, just like you would your food. You know, if you want to get, if you're buying organic food, maybe you should be buying organic clothing as well. Non-GMO clothing. Um, having the, those, uh, those textiles that are having the least um, processing to them. And support legislation for health research into the industrial toxins. Write your Congress people. There's also, um, in the EU, there is um, a grassroots effort to get uh, better labeling that we can also ask our Congress people to do. Yeah, I know it's gridlock. They don't do anything. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we abdicate our, um, our duty as citizens to ask them to do their job. And also what I said before, vote with your wallet. Choose when you can to buy slow fashion. Um, that's the language that the, capital, the capitalists and the big business understands is, again, if they see their profits are dropping in these fast fashion places and they see that, oh, now there is a little bit of an uptick with buying non-GMO textiles or buying organic textiles, then that the industry might pivot more towards that direction. And like I said, this is not a race. It's like a real marathon. It's like a real, um, it's going to be a journey to get where we need to go. 
Um, one of the things that um, I think is really important is to begin to research your favorite brand. Um, and I would, how do you do this? Well, so I researched um, wood, wood, it's wool and um, I love their wool dresses and I wanted to know more about them and how they made the clothing and if it was, you know, made in a way that um, that went with my values. Um, I know that the that the material that they're using is 75% merino wool and 25% nylon. So already I know it has plastics in it, um, but it is lightweight. And for our um, for our climate here in the mid Atlantic, um, it's pretty nice and cool to wear. So first I went to their website and I looked on their about page and I didn't find any, this, everything that I wanted to find there. So then I went to their FAQ page and I still didn't see enough about their practices. You know, they claim to be um, sustainable, but I couldn't find anything specific. So the next thing I did was that I went to, I just kind of was looking all over their website and I noticed that they had a blog. And after scrolling and scrolling, I way down, you know, when they first started the company, I found an en entry about their sustainable progress and supply chain. And that's where I found my answer. And I was really, I, I was blown away by what I found because they listed where they purchased their wool. They gave the names of this and the sustainability practices of the mills that they use and the knitting and weaving factories and the sewing and cutting uh, facilities as well. Um, I was excited to see that many of the places that they use are in South Korea, where the laws and are, are closer to the United States and where they have more of an OSHA type oversight and that they pay a living wage. So I know for myself, you know, I probably will be buying more of these items in the future because I know that they are um, they are putting their money where their mouth is. They are being sustainable. They are making inroads. They and they are perfectly clear by saying, you know, we're not all the way that there yet, but this is the progress that we're making, and this is this is the journey to get there which I re was really um, impressed with. So my call to action for this episode, um, I'm going to ask you to research one of your favorite brands. Um, and it could be a sustainable brand that you like, or maybe it's um, one of the more major brands. I know that like North Face has a sustain sustainability, I can say it, a sustainability plan. I know that Eileen Fisher has something. Um, there are several places where you know they they are saying that they are recycling. I think Patagonia has something as well. So take one of your favorite brands and research it. Go to their website. Um, look for evidence of ecological awareness. Look for evidence of equitable rate wages and fair trade practices. Um, Look for evidence of recycling programs and what happens to those clothes when they are taken back. Um, and 
when you do this, I would love you to send me your research. It would be great to put this together into some kind of a shared place where all of us who are concerned about wearing healthy clothing and textiles could have access to it. So yeah, please, um, when you do this, shoot me an email um, and let me know uh, what you find out and we can put it together for other people to use. So until next time, um, as always, let me know any of your thoughts about this episode. You can leave me a message on the Anchor app or you can shoot me an email. And um, until I see you in person or on the web, happy making and happy wearing. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.